Hey, it's the DNA guy back for another episode Dungeons and Dragons. And today, well, today's day three of the seven days, seven hours week. And I know I said today we'd start the bonus content, but uh, the bonus content that I think you guys would like is you need to know like some other stuff about classes first. So I'm gonna tell you a bit about the easiest class to learn in D&D and one of the most iconic in my mind, the fighter. And uh, yeah, and then once you guys learned a bit about him, I got some cool bonus content geared towards him. We're gonna run that bonus content unless you guys uh, vote for something else. Yeah, there's still time to vote. If you don't want to run some bonus content about the fighter or you want to have some other suggestions, questions, anything, you can email me at the dndguy at gmail.com. No spaces, no capitals. One more time, the dndguy@gmail.com, and you can uh, like tell me your ideas for bonus content there. All right, so let's hop into the episode. So, as you've probably already guessed, uh, the fighter is well. He he specializes in front up combat, taking those hits that his teammates couldn't take. And dealing out that damage. He can he can wear all armor and all weapons. You name it. He can wear plate mail, chain mail, leather armor, studded. He can wear it all. He can use shields. He can also use all the weapons. Long swords, short swords, battle axes, hand axes, great clubs, great swords, longbows, heavy crossbows, slings. You name it. He can use it all. And he uses that to his advantage, the fight in the front lines while protecting his teammates. So... Yeah, uh, fighters won't, like, just find the front lines, though, too. They can be anything, like, with weapons. So, like, you could be a guy clad in, like, chainmail with his sword and shield, find a massive ogre in the front lines. Or you could be that elf in stud leather with a longbow peppering the ogre with arrows. And uh, I have this little clip from the player's handbook to read. And then when we're done reading that, we're going to talk about personality, building your fighter, fleshing out the character. And then we're going to talk about all the fighter's abilities, like he, get, he gets as he levels up. And then we're going to like talk about how best to build your fighter and how to make him the most effective. Of course, this is only a guide and you don't have to listen to it if you don't want to. So, yeah. A human in claning plate mail armor holds her shield before her as she runs towards the masked goblins. An elf behind her, clad in stud leather armor, peppers the goblins with arrows loose from his exquisite bow. The half-orc nearby shouts orders, helping the two combatants coordinate their assault to the best advantage. A dwarf in chainmail interposes his shield between the ogre's club and his companion, knocking the deadly blow aside. His companion, a half-elf in scale mail, Swins two skymatars in a blinding whirl as she circles the ogre, looking for a blind spot in his defense in its defenses. A gladiator fights for sport in the arena, a master of his trident and net, skilled at toppling foes and moving them around for the crowd's delight, the crowd's delight, and his own tactical advantage. His opponent's sword flares of blue light an instant before she sends lightning flashing forth to smite him. All these heroes are fighters, perhaps the most diverse class of characters in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Quested knights, conquered overlords, royal champions, elite foot soldiers, hardened mercuries, and bandit kings. As fighters, they all share an unparalleled mastery with weapons and armor, and a thorough long knowledge of the skill of combat. Of combat. And they are well acquainted with death, both meting it out and staring it defiantly in the face. So... That's a clip from the player's handbook that shows you all these sample fighters and talks a bit about them. Like, your fighter character, like, you're a master of weapons and, like, armor and swords, but that's where this, your similarity to other fighters ends. You can make your fighter character whatever you want. That's one of the great things about D&D. You can, like, you can make your character, like, build your character, build his personality, his backstory, like, his, all that stuff. How you want. That's one of the reasons why I love D&D. So fighters are well-rounded. Like, fighters know the basics of all combat styles. So every fighter can, like, swing an axe, fence of a sword, shoot a longbow. Uh, you name it. They can all use those uh, weapons. 
and like some of them can, and you can also do other stuff like even trap your foes in nets or joust from a horse with a lance all fighters can do those basic weapon skills also a fighter can use like adapt to use a shield in every form of armor so fighters are the ultimate combat specialists and but beyond that each fighter will specialize in a certain style of combat so they'll all know all they'll base they'll know the basics of all the styles of combat and then they'll choose to specialize in different styles so some might concentrate on archery some might fight with two weapons some might fight with massive great axes and great swords and some might like choose to even pursue there's a fighter subclass like subclasses are where so basically there's something dini called subclasses each class has them has them and uh somewhere through you'll be asked to choose a subclass for the fighter it's at third level and it's basically where all fighters get the same abilities as they level up so all fighters would be pretty much at 20th level the exact same no but no they also get subclasses, which are choice to make your fighter different from other fighters. There's three subclasses I have in the player's handbook that we're going to talk about either today or if we don't finish this, uh, the next episode. And then I also have these extra fighter subclasses, which was some of this extra bonus content I wanted to talk about. But we can't get to that until we finish talking about the fighter. So those are like some stuff to flesh out your fighter and make them different and unique. So yeah. So fighters all have like a combination of broad general ability. And they also have extensive specialization. And this makes them extreme deadly foes on the battlefield. So not... Everyone that can wield a sword and wear armor is a fighter. Not every member of the city guard, the village militia, or the army is a fighter. So most of these people are like relatively untrained soldiers with only the most basic combat knowledge. So here's the difference. The fighter can base can do knows the basics of all the weapons and armor and then he specializes in a certain area. And he, so he knows the basics of every all the weapons and armor and all the fine styles, and then he's a master in a certain fine style and with certain weapons and armor. These basic troops, like basic army soldiers, like basic watch people, basic militia, they just know the basics in one skill, whereas a fighter knows the basics in everything is a master in a skill. They would just know the basics in one or two skills. So there, it's a big difference between them and a fully trained fighter. So, but like veteran soldiers, military officers, trained bodyguards, decade knights, and similar figures are fighters. So some fighters, like, will use their training to be adventurers, to fight for the good. Like they might be, they might like delve in dungeons slay monsters and do other dangerous work uh that among the adventurers do is second nature for fighters and uh it's not all that different from like any other life because all fighters their life is filled with battle that's the that's what they do they fight like some turn to adventure in the fight for good or some might fight for their own gain or evil. Whatever their motive, they're all fighters. So fighters, like, when they do this, there are great risks. Because you can die out there on the battlefield. But they can also be great rewards. So few fighters have on the City Watch have ever, like, ever come across, like, a, a unique magic item. Like, a really good magic item. Like, uh, like Potion of Invisibility, Add My Armor, Flame Ton Sword, which is one of my favorite magic items. It's really cool. It's basically this sword, and, like, if you speak its command word, it ignites on fire, so you got this flame and sword. It's really cool. So, 
yeah, so as we work on building you guys fighters, let's uh think about two like elements of your like let's think about some elements of your character's background, like how we're gonna flesh out your fighter. So I got a few things. So where did you get your combat training? Who did you get from? Like where did you get it? Who did you get it from? And uh, what sets you apart from these like mundane warriors in the city watch? What sets you apart from them? Did you get extra help from a mentor? Uh, because like you were extremely dedicated to your fighting skill? What drove you to this training in the first place? Was it because your village was attacked by orcs? Was it because you wanted like revenge? Uh, or maybe you need to prove yourself. Like, anything can be factors. It's your character, so it's your backstory. Like, maybe you enjoyed formal training because you were a noble son. Or, perhaps you trained in a war academy. Like, you learned strategy, tactics, and military history. Or you might be self-taught. Maybe as a kid, the only thing you did was pick up your father's sword and train with it. Like, was that your way of escaping the limits of life in your small town? Or you might be following a proud family's tradition. Or you might be doing this to protect your village from an invading band of orcs. Or get revenge on a band of orcs that destroyed your village and your home. So, where did you get your weapon and armor? Are there your family heirlooms passed down for generations? They might have been military issue. Like, did you get them when you joined the army? Or maybe you saved for years from a poor family to get them. So, uh, so to fighters, to most fighters, like, the weapons and armor are the most important possessions because the, this, uh, those alone are what they need to do the, the trade. And when you're fighting, those are the only things that stand between you and dying. So, yeah, so let's talk about your fighter. So, to fighters, the most, you have three abilities that are probably most important. Strength, dexterity, and constitution. As a fighter, you want to be strong to overpower your foes. Quick to, like, uh, yeah, quick to take your foes by surprise. Uh, that could be if you want to be a stealthy-like fighter. Most fighters, uh... And the most fighters I play aren't like that, but it's your choice. Uh, and constitution's important because as a fighter, you want to have high health to make sure you can take hits. So usually, you want either strength or dexterity to be your highest score. If you want to be a melee fighter, up front, fighting with great swords, battle axes, long swords, all that stuff. You want to put your strength first because when you attack, you add strength with me- with melee weapons unless it's a finance weapon which uh, f- if you're a front up fighter you're probably not going to be using you add your strength not your dexterity to your attack and damage rolls with melee weapons unless it's a finance weapon so let's say I'm a front up fighter using a long sword a shield and wearing chainmail armor I slash with my long sword let's say my strength is plus three and then I'm a level 1 fighter, so my proficiency bonus is plus 2. Since I'm using my uh, a long sword, instead of... I'd add my proficiency to like see if I hit, I'd roll die 20. Then I'd add my proficiency bonus, plus my strength, because it's a, a melee weapon. And it's not a finance weapon. Finance weapons are weapon are melee weapons that you can choose to either use your strength or dexterity to the attack and damage rolls. So I'd add my strength with this longsword to the attack and damage rolls. So it's important if you're a front of fighter to put your strength highest if you wanna be like good at like doing front up damage. If you want to stay back and pepper your enemies with arrows, like, you want to probably put your decks first, because then, uh, because if you're using a ranged weapon, you add your dexterity instead of your strength to your attack and damage rolls of ranged weapons. Uh, 
So if you want to do most damage in your range fighter, you probably want to put your dex first. And then your second high score should be constitution because you also want to have pretty good health to take, so to make sure you can take some hits. Because uh, if you're like a front up fighter or even if you're behind the lines, like you're probably going to take more hits than like your job is to deal damage to enemies and also protect your teammates. Like the, like the wizard who's really weak who might not who might even at level one die from one hit. Uh yeah. So yeah. So fighters uh they have some of the highest health in the game. So you hit dice. Hit dice is we're gonna have a lot have to bear with me, we're gonna have to explain a lot as we talk about the fighter. Your hit dice is what, when you take a short rest, you can choose to uh, regain hit points equal to your hit dice. And you can choose the, when you take a short rest, you can choose to spend a number of hit dice. You have a number of hit dice equal, you have a number of hit dice equal to, like, whatever your hit dice is, because each class is a different hit dice per fighter level, so the fighter has 1 die 10 hit dice per fighter level, so at 6th level, he'd have 6 die 10 hit dice. So when I take a short rest, I can roll a maximum of 6 die 10 to regain hit points, but once you use a hit dice, you can't use that hit dice again until you take a long rest. So let's say I take a short rest, I choose to roll 4 die 10 hit dice to heal, and then, uh, remember when you're healing, it's only healing. You can't go above your hit point maximum when you're, like, healing with your hit dice. And in general, when you're healing, the only, you can't go above your hit point maximum when you're healing. Uh, so yeah, let's say I choose to use four die ten of my hit dice. And let's say I take another short rest before, another short rest a few hours later, and I want to heal. So now I only have two die 10 hit dice left. So that's the max I can use. So that's to use those two die 10. If I choose to take another short rest, I can't, I don't have any more hit dice to roll. So, but let's say I take a long rest next, I get all my hit dice back to use. So yeah. Uh, if you guys have, this might be a bit confusing the newer players. And uh, bear with me like you experienced players because... Soon, let me just explain a bit of this. Then, probably after halftime, we're going to get into stuff that you experienced players will like. Uh, if you newer players have any questions about this, or if you, like, or if you experienced players have any comments about stuff you de- disagree with, with my guide, then uh, you can contact me at the guy at gmail.com. No spaces, no capitals. And it'll be in the episode description. So, fighters at first level, you start with 10 plus your constitution modifier hit points. And constitution mo- your constitution, there's, there's a constitution saving throw. Remember, saving throws are what like you do when it's not your turn, but another guy has to make you make a saving throw. Like, if you're poisoned, the DM might make you uh, make a constitution saving throw. Or if you have to avoid, like... Uh, like a big fireball that an enemy wizard blasted at you, your DM might make will. Your DM might make you roll a deck saving though. So uh. Yeah, so that's why it's important to have high constitution. Though there's only a constitution saving though and no constitution skills, it's directly linked to your health. The higher constitution you have, the more health. So that's why it's important to have your constitution either your highest as a fighter or your second highest. So at first level, you'd get 10 plus your constitution modifier hit points. And then at higher levels, like that's at first level. So at higher levels, like at second, third, fourth, all the way at level 20, because level 20 is the max level for any class. Uh you would get 1 die 10 hit points or 6 
So you'd either roll one die ten and add your constitution modifier to get your hit points. So let's say, or you can choose to instead take the. Instead, take the like, it's kind of the average. So I can either choose the roll die ten, and. Uh, add my constitution modifier to the roll, and that's how many hit points I get when I leveled up. Or, I can choose to take the 6, which is the fighter's average, and add my constitution modifier to that, and get that many hit points. If you're newer players and not as experienced, so the games might be harder for you, I recommend, uh, to make it easier, you, uh... Roll you roll the die ten, and if it's lower than the average of six for the, f- than the average, you take the average, and add your constitution modifier. That's like what I'd recommend for newer players to help them. So uh yeah, so fighters. So it's a thing called proficiencies. And basically, that's what like what weapons you can use, what armor you can wear, what tools you can use, and like what saving throws you're proficient in, what skills you're proficient in. That's what your guy's proficient in and good at. So, uh, yeah. So as, so as a fighter, you can use all armor and all shields. And then you can use all simple weapons and all martial weapons. So as a fighter, you can use all armor and shields. And you can use all weapons. And then uh, you can't use any tools. Tools are like artistan's tools. Like uh, stone worker's tools. Metal worker's tools. Like thieves' tools. Stuff like that. You don't have any of those that you're proficient in. But you do. you can use all armor and shields. And uh, all weapons. And then you're proficient in strength and constitution saving those. So when you make that saving though, you add your proficiency bonus to the roll. So uh, I'll say that. So you start at first level. When you cho- make your character, you're going to start at first level. Unless you make a higher level character. Like if your DM says you to make a higher level character. And... Uh, each class can go up to 20th level. That's the maximum you can achieve in one class. And there's rules about multi-classing. So you could be like a fighter slash wizard. Part fighter, part wizard. But we'll get into that in another episode soon. But for now, just uh, worry. Just don't worry about that. And just consider that the maximum level you can achieve in any one class is 20. And usually you start at level 1 unless your DM says otherwise. So as you level up, your proficiency bonus is going to go up. It starts at plus 2 and caps off at level uh, 17 at plus 6. So remember that's where you add to skills, attack rolls, and the ability checks you're proficient in. If you're proficient in the weapon, you add your proficiency bonus to the attack roll, not this damage roll. Okay? And you don't add your proficiency bonus to your armor class if you're proficient in the armor. You don't do that. If you're proficient in the armor, it just means that you can wear it without being distracted by it and uh, having disadvantage on attack rolls. Like, if you're in armor that you're not proficient in, you have disadvantage on attack rolls, ability checks, saving throws, like casting spells, all that stuff. So, first level... uh. As a fighter, you have a plus two proficiency bonus. At fifth level, your proficiency bonus goes up to plus three. At ninth level, it goes up to plus four. At thirteenth level, it goes up to plus five. And at seventeenth level, it caps off at plus six. And this is the same for all the classes. All the classes, the proficiency bonus is the same. So your fighter is also proficient in two of the following skills. So I'm going to list these skills. And when you're making your fighter, you're going to choose two of them to be proficient in. So you choose two skills, either from acrobatics, animal handling, athletics, history, insight, intimidation, perception, survival. Acrobatics is like doing like acrobatic stunts, like jumping over a big chasm. Uh, it might be to like kind of edge away a lawn, 
carefully edge your way along the edge of a cliff, stuff like that. Animal handling is like the handle and calm down animals. Athletics might be like jumping over a big chasm, climbing like some rubble, stuff like that. History might be like the recall a piece of lore about like uh about like an evil wizard that lived fifty years ago. Insight is to tell if someone's lying and see into their true purposes. Intimidation is to try and intimidate someone into doing what you want. And perception is to try and like see look at your surroundings, see like find any hidden traps or like things. And survival is like the survive in the wilderness and the survive in like dangerous environments. So you choose two of those skills of your choice. If uh if you're a fighter that focuses on upfront combat, I'd say athletics is a must-have. And if you're a fighter that focuses on like range combat, so you have high dexterity, I'd say acrobatics is a must-have. So now equipment. So as a fighter, you start with uh some equipment given you either start with like some equipment given by your class and some equipment given by your background. Oh yeah. So when you're building your character, your guy's gonna have a race, your class, and then your background. Your race will give you some racial traits. Your class will give you the main of your like the the massive, a main ability like main thing of your traits. And as you level up, it'll give you new uh new traits. And your background will like basically is kind of where you grew up in and they'll like give you examples of like sample personality traits to help you like flesh out your character and you'll also get some stud and gold and stone items from your background too or so you can either do that or if your dm allows it instead of doing this you can have the option of rolling for gold stud and instead of stone equipment you can have the option of rolling for starting gold, and then you don't take the equipment and gold and uh, from your class and background. For the fighter, you'd roll 5d4 times 10 gold pieces, and then you can spend how much gold you got on equipment, or you can take the equipment and gold given by your background and class. So as a fighter, your class... Uh, equipment it gives you either chainmail armor or leather armor a longbow and 20 arrows uh my recommendation is it's hard to like sneak up and be stealthy and uh if you have like chainmails so i'd recommend if you want to be a range fighter taking the leather armor longbow and 20 arrows or if you want to be a front-up fighter, I'd recommend taking the chainmail. And then another choice you get is a martial weapon and a shield or two martial weapons. That depends on if you want to be like, if you want to be a front-up fighter with like, let's say a sword and a shield or a bow axe and a shield. You might do less damage, but it'll improve your armor class. Two martial weapons means that like you use like maybe two short swords, two long swords. Or two stuff like that. Or you might choose like a great sword. And then maybe like a hand axe. So maybe you throw your hand axe. If you're too far away to use your great sword. And then slash with your great sword. Because uh, great sword is a two handed weapon. Because you can't use any other weapons. In the other hand you're using the great sword. Or you might choose to use two short swords. Or two long swords. And dual wield with them. When you're dual wielding. It might seem as an advantage. Because you can like essentially maybe do double the damage but there is some things you add like a bonus to the attack and damage roll to the first weapon but to the second weapon like so the first attack of the first weapon you add the normal bonus to the attack and damage roll but your attack with the second weapon you don't add the bonus to the attack and damage roll and then another choice you get is either a light crossbow of 20 bolts or two hand axes and then you either get and then another, the final choice you get is either dungeoneer's pack or an explorer's pack choose the one that like is more what you think like if you think you're gonna be exploring dungeons and stuff choose dungeoneers if you think you're gonna be exploring more wilderness choose the explorers and yeah
so I already said like if you want to be a front up, choose a chainmail, and if you, uh, and if you want to be like a further back, choose a leather armor longbow twenty arrows. If you want to be a front up fighter with a sword and shield, choose the martial weapon and shield. Or if you want to be like a front up fighter with two weapons, or like a big a good bigger weapon, like a big two handed weapon and a smaller weapon, like the use the throw and stuff. If you're too far, choose the two martial weapons. Or if you want to be like a farther back fighter that like uses his bow and arrow. Uh, but like sometimes needs to rely on drawing his sword and shield or maybe two swords. Choose like which one. And then yeah, the light crossbow and 20 bolts. It doesn't really matter which you pick. Two hand axes. Like two hand axes. You can like, uh, they have shorter range, but you have two of them. And uh, when you throw them at higher levels, when you get the extra attack feature, you might be able to throw both of them in one turn or more than one in one turn. Whereas the light crossbow, crossbows, even if you have the extra attack feature, you can only make one attack of a crossbow in a turn. It doesn't really matter which one you choose. So yeah, those are your equipment. So I know like you more experienced players, this hasn't been very interesting, but bear with me. Uh, this is a lot to take in, you less, like, uh, newbies to the game. So, uh, yeah. So we're gonna cut the halftime, and after halftime, we're gonna start talking about some of the abilities the fighter gets as he or she levels up. And then once we talk about these abilities, either in this episode or in the next episode, we're gonna start talking about the most efficient way to build different types of fighters. Uh, Yeah. So, let's talk about how to create your pantheon. Remember the, like, we've been talking about for a while now, like, giving examples for different pantheons in D&D and real-world pantheons. Now it's finally time to put together that into making your own pantheon. So, uh, so most d there's different, first of all, there's different, like, types of pantheons that we're going to talk about. There's most of the D&D worlds have... Loose pantheons, that's the biggest one. All the pantheons we talked about are loose pantheons because very few of them have other, like, pantheons. And loose pantheons is the one I'm going to be teaching you how to build. So, loose pantheons is where there's, like, a group of gods that rule various aspects of existence. And they loosely, like, cooperate with like, and compete against one another to, like, basically administer the universe. So people will gather in, like, shrines to worship gods of life and wisdom, or meet in him places to worship gods of deception or, like, destruction and death. So each god in a pantheon will have, like, a portfolio and is responsible for advancing that portfolio. Uh, like, for example, in the world of Greyhawk, Hieronius is a god of valor who calls clerics and paladins to his service and encourages them to spread the ideals of honorable warfare, chivalry, and justice in society. So, even, like, in the midst of his, like, everlasting war with his brother Hexter, god of war and tyranny, Hieronius, like, promotes his own portfolio. War, fought nobly, and in the cause of justice. So that's just an example. That's, like, that's a good example. Uh, I think that one's also in the Dungeon Master's... This is Dungeon Master's, like, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's a section about creating your own pantheon. Like, you'll hear me talking about the same stuff. I'm uh, using that example in Dungeon Master's Guide because it's a really good example. And, uh, yeah. So, people, like, in most D&D worlds will, uh, like, will, like, worship deities of their own, but they'll acknowledge pantheons of other cultures. And, like, people will, like, pay their homage to, like, different gods. Like, a person might, uh... 
like, before studying, like, before trying to, uh, like, in the Forgotten Realm, hmm, oh, like, in, uh, this other pantheon I'm gonna show you, this one's also, in, this one's not really, it's, like, this pantheon for, uh, it's, like, a sample pantheon, it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide, it was created, like, I'm using it because it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide, and it's also a really well-built, like, this Pantheon's really well-built, and the people who created the Dungeon Master's Guide know that, so that's why they chose it, and that's why I'm choosing it. So, for example, in it, like, people might worship, uh, people might worship before, like, studying or, like, doing a big painting or studying something about magic, or doing something that's, like, risky involving magic. They might, like, pray to Coralon. Cor- uh, he's the god of magic and the arts in this pantheon. Before doing that, or other people, like, before hand out the sea, might pray the Cord, god of strength and storms in this pantheon, to, like, hopefully make, like, whatever they're doing go successfully. And, uh... Some people, like, feel a call into a particular god's, like, service, and they claim that god to be their patron. Like, they'll still pay homage and respect all the other gods, but that god will be their patron, their main god. Like, most clerics in D&D have, like, when you could go to create a cleric and a paladin, in D&D, usually you're going to choose, like, a god. Uh, like, a god to be a patron god. Because they're like war- holy warriors for that god. Those are other classes we'll talk about sometime. Uh, yeah. Like, really devote, like, the clerics. Um, a lot of people, like, will declare themselves patron of that god, but only the most devoted will go out and, like, fight against evil or, like, other, like, just fight for that cause, like, a paladin or a cleric. Those are, like, the most devoted. Like, most of them will just become priests, the staff, like a holy site or a shrine. Uh, like, shrines and temples, like, usually in a community, will serve as, like, a big gathering point for, like, religious festivals. And, like, priests at such site, uh, like, these sites will tell stories of the gods, teach, like, the, like, ethics of their patron deities, offer advice and blessings, perform religious rites provide training activities, uh, the di- and provide training activities or deities favor. Like, if a god, it, like, if a god that a guy, that, like, someone's a patron of is the god of archery, that person might teach archery. So, also, like, usually, like, the shrines and temples are like a church to that god, or that a few gods, or that maybe the entire pantheon. Uh, usually, like, these shrines and, like, temples and places, they'll have, like, they'll still honor the other gods, but they'll be, like, main one god. Like, there might be paintings of all the gods and goddesses along the wall, but then in the center, there might be a big statue of one of them. That's the patron. That's, like, that temple is supposed to be built around and is, like, the patron of the people that, like, work there. So, we're gonna be given... Like, we're going to be doing a few things. Like, we're going to be talking about, first of all, quickly building your patron, like, your patron, and then fleshing it out with other gods and doing it. So, we're going to first talk about how to quickly build it, which is to choose, like, eight gods or gosses for, like, the eight, like, clerical domains that you can choose in the player's handbook, which is death, knowledge, life, light, nature, tempest, trickery, and war. And those are, like, remember we talked about all of them, and I said the suggested domain. That's what we all said. Uh, that's what, like, whichever domain those domains are, like, whatever the domain was, that's, like, what domain clerics that would devote to that god or goddess usually choose. Uh, like, and, uh, yeah. And then also, like, you should invent, we're going to, like, invent like, personalities, like, names and personalities for these deities. Or, another way, is you can borrow deities from other pantheons that I think would fit well in your pantheon are really good. 
And uh, this approach, like, this will give you a small painting that covers, like, the eight most basic areas. And, like, you can also use it to cover other areas. Like, the god of war might also become, like, a god of tyranny. Or the god of noble warfare and chivalry. Or, like, yeah, stuff like that. Usually, he's not the god of tyranny and, like, chivalry and stuff. Because those are opposites. Uh, or now one might be the god of knowledge, might also be the god of magic. And, uh, and the god of light might be the god of the sun. Like, stuff like that, where you can, like, connect it and stuff. And, and then we're going to advance it, and if you want to build an advanced pantheon after that, we're gonna fill in, like, you can either do, like, you do the first step, create the eight basic ones, but then you wouldn't do the second step. Which is fill them in and like add more stuff like the god light might become the god sun, the god knowledge might become the god of magic. Like we're gonna create god a bunch, a whole pile more gods for all the for a lot of indivi- important individual things that the eight basics didn't cover. And like uh and yeah, and that's how you we're gonna build an advanced pantheon too. So we're gonna be building a pantheon as we go so today uh we ran out of time for a half time so next time we're probably going to talk about the the sample dawn of war pantheon i've picked out and that's also in the D- uh, dungeon master's guide and then we're also going to start talking about like building your loose pantheon of gods and we'll also talk about, if you want, we'll talk basically about, like, sometime about other types of pantheons if you want to build those. But we're not going to go in-depth and build. Like, uh, we're going to, with the loose pantheon, it's, like, the most common one. We're going to build a step-to-step pantheon. And, like, I'll build a step-to-step pantheon. We'll go along and do that. And, uh, but we're not going to do that with the others. We'll just cover the basics of the others. And, uh, yeah, and then we'll move on from our panting halftime after a while, after we've done a list and do something else. So, let's hop back into the episode. Okay, so where we left off with the fighter is where we just finished talking about all, like, the equipment and all your starting skills and equipment. And we're about to talk about, like, different abilities you get. So now we're going to talk about all the different abilities you get. And in this episode, we can fit in, but probably next episode, we're going to start talking about, uh, like, basically a Fighter Guide 101. Like, basically, Fighter 101. It's a guide to, like, how you can best build your fighter to, like, really effective and stuff for different categories. And, uh, yeah. So, first of all, let's talk about the abilities you get at level 1. So, at level 1, additionally, like, aside from getting all your stern equipment and, like, your skills and saving those you're proficient in and putting down your health and doing all the other stuff on your character sheet, you also get some abilities for your fighter. So, at level 1 for your fighter, you adopt the fighting style, which is... Uh, which is like kind of what style of fighting you you want to do as you with your fighter. So, uh, for the fighter, there's a list of different fighting styles, and at level one you choose one of them to be your fighting style. So there's archery, you get plus two bonus to attack rolls made of ranged weapons. So that's good if you're a fighter that like stays back and uses like a bow or crossbow or something like that. Defense, while wearing armor, you get plus one bonus to AC. That can be, that's especially good for front-up fighters that are going to, like, take some hits and stuff. Dueling, so while you're wielding a melee weapon in one hand and no other weapon, you gain a plus two bonus to damage rolls with that weapon. So that can be useful if you're using, like, a sword and shield or, like, a bow axe and shield and uh, stuff like that. And that can be used if you want to just do more damage. And then great, great weapon fighting. So then you will run a 1 or a 2 on a damage dice for an attack you make with a melee weapon that you are wielding with two hands. You can reroll the die and must use the new roll, even if the new roll is a 1 or a 2. The weapon must have two hand, the two-handed or versatile property for you to gain this benefit. So uh, 
I definitely choose that if you're using like a great axe or a great sword and not wearing a shield or like you're using a massive great axe or great sword. Especially, it's especially good on the great sword because great axe you only roll one die 12. You roll one die 12. You roll one die 12. So only two of those 12 numbers could like this could apply to those. With a great sword, the it's 2d6. So it's still you can get the 12 so still the max is 12 but instead of a two of those numbers you could use this ability four of those numbers you could use this ability but you can only use this ability like when you use it you must take the new roll you can't keep rolling it until you get it higher oh a tip uh for like game purposes great swords can like be better than great axes because great axes roll one day 12 so the so the minimum is one the minimum the minimum is one and the maximum is uh 12. great swords they roll 2d6 so the minimum is two and the maximum is 12. so that's a tip about plus what i just told you about great swords great swords can be generally better protection so this one is really cool. Uh, so when a creature you can see attacks a target other than you that is within 5 feet of you, you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on the attack roll. You must be willing to shield. So that's good if you're in the front lines and you got some other like guys that are fine up beside you, like maybe like a cleric. Hmm, what else? Like a cleric, a paladin. This, you could use this to make it harder for enemies to hit them. But keep in mind that you must be wielding a shield in one hand. So you could only... So usually you're going to wield like a box and shield, a sword and shield, or some other weapon or shield. You can't be wielding a weapon with two hands. And you end each round, you only get one action, one bonus action, and one reaction. So you could technically only have one reaction per round. So you could only use this once per round. Or you might want to use your reaction for other things. So it's a really good ability, but it has a disadvantage. It has some disadvantages. So, so two-weapon fighting. So when you engage in two-weapon fighting, you add your ability modifier to the damage of the second attack. So usually with two-weapon fighting, I'm pretty sure I said this earlier, it's... Like, to make up, because if you're wielding, like, two launchers or something, that's really powerful. The make-up for that, uh, so the make-up for that, when you, when you attack with, uh, two weapons, like, when you, but there is some prequests for two weapons. The weapons have to be light, they have to have the light, uh, property. They can't have the... So they have to have those, no, yeah, they have to have the light property, so, like, you couldn't, yeah, you actually couldn't use a lawn sword. You could use, uh, yeah, you could use, uh, you could use short swords, you could use short swords, you could use scimitars, you could use daggers, you could use stuff like that, that have the light property. And so when you take the attack action and are using, like, will and weapon and, like, one weapon each hand, that's a light property, you can make an attack of both of them. So you add your ability modifier to... So, uh, so like, when you take the attack action on your turn, you can use your action to attack with one weapon... And then if you're holding a light weapon in the other hand, you can uh, use your bonus action. Remember, you only get one action, one bonus action per round to make uh, an attack of that weapon. But you don't add your ability modifier to the damage of the bonus attack unless that bonus is a negative. Uh, yeah, the first attack you still add the bonus to the damage. So, the fighter also gets one other ability at level 1. It's called Second Wind. It's it's actually, it can be really good at low levels, but at higher levels, it's not so good. Especially since you can only use this feature, like, once before you have to do a rest. 
So second wind is basically where, uh, so on your turn, you can use a bonus action. This is another of those things where, like, if you're a protection fighter. Oh, no, no, no. Protection is reaction. Uh, on your turn, you can use your bonus action to regain hit points equal to 1d10 plus your fighter level. Uh, so that can, like, at first level, that can be, like, 1d10 plus 1. I guess at, tw- like, at higher levels, like, if you're 15th level, that'd be 1d10 plus 15. But the bonus still doesn't really make up for it. And once you use this feature, you must finish a short or long rest before you can use it again. So you must finish a rest before you can use it again. In my opinion, it's a really good ability at lower levels, especially at first level. Because with this ability, you can have, s- you can, like... Yeah, it can give you so much healing. At first level, it can basically heal you almost back up to full health. But at higher levels, it's basically just a tiny boost to your health. Uh, yeah. So, let's start with where you get the next levels. At higher levels. So, at second level, you get the ability Action Surge. So, Action Surge is where... You can push yourself beyond your normal limits, push really hard, and on your turn, you can take one additional action on top of your regular action and a possible bonus action. So, once you use this feature, you must finish a short or long rest before you can use it again, and at 17th level, you can use it twice before you must finish a rest. So, this can actually be good, because it can make you get, like, an extra strike in against an enemy, do an extra thing that you could normally not do in that turn, like, like, you might, like, really need to do, like, it can, it can actually be really useful in situations where you need to, like, you can't, you don't have, like, enough time to do it in your turn. So, at third level, it gets really exciting, you get to choose your subclass, which, uh, the fight, and, like, the fighters call it martial archetype. That's for the fighter. So you get to choose your martial archetype slash subclass. And uh, so in the player's handbook, there's three. And then uh, next episode, we might talk about some other ones that are in, that are in, like, uh, different... That are in this other book, the Examiner's Guide to Everything I Have. It has some other cool, really cool subclasses we'll talk about. And, uh, yeah, so at third level, you get a feature from that. You also get another feature from your uh, subclass slash module archetype at seventh, seventh level, tenth level, fifteenth level, and eighteenth level. And, uh, yeah. At fourth level, it's also really exciting you get ability score improvement. So basically, it's where you can increase some of your ability scores. So you can either increase two of your ability scores by one point. So let's say I have my strength 15 and my dex 14. I could bump my strength up to 16 and my dex up to 15. Or let's say I have a, like an intelligence of 14. I could increase that by two and make it 16. So you basically, like, get, you can increase one ability score by two, or two ability scores by one, or you can learn a feat, and feats are, like, special things that only you can do, and we'll talk about them in a later episode, like, we'll talk about feats along with multi-class, and those are, like, extra, like, customizational options, so feats are, like, things that only you can do. Uh, that, like, very few people can do, like, a specialized skill. So, you can, you get this ability score improvement feature at 4th level, again at 6th level, 8th level, 12th level, 14th level, 16th level, 19th level, uh, and yeah. So, at level 5, which is really, like, a lot of classes have this at level 5, but the fighter really has a lot of this, extra attack. So it's basically when you take the attack action on your turn, you can attack twice instead of once. So it's really good. A lot of like a lot of classes like have this, like the barbarian has it. A bard subclass has it. Uh of course the fighter has it, uh, cuz we're talking about the monk has it, the paladin has it, the ranger has it. 
and uh, yeah, but the fighter, all of those only get it, they get at 5th level, or except this bard, this one bard subclass gets at 6th level, and they get the extra attack feature, which when they take the attack at, like, our action on their turn, they can attack twice instead of once, but what's really special about the fighter, they only get at 5th level. The fighter also gets this feature at 11th level and 20th level. So 11th level, you can attack 3 times. At 20th level, you can attack 4 times when you take the attack action. And uh, at level 6, you get ability score improvement, which you just talked about. At level 7, you get... uh, Oh, also at level 5, your proficiency bonus goes up from plus 2 to plus 3. So at level 7, uh, you get like a subclass slash martial archetype feature, which we'll talk about like those martial archetypes uh, after. At 8th level, you get ability score improvement. At ninth level, your proficiency bonus goes up to plus 4, and you get a feature called indom- uh, Indomitable, which is actually pretty good. So... It's begin at ninth level, you can re-roll saving though that you fail. So if you do so, you must, must, must use the new roll. And you can't use this feature again until you finish a long rest. Not a short or long rest, just a long rest. Just an eight-hour rest. Not a one-hour, like, coffee break. An eight-hour rest. And uh, you can use this feature twice between long rest at 13th level and three times between long rest at 17th level. And then at 10th level, you get a martial archetype feature. At 11th level, you get an extra attack feature. So you, when you take the attack action, you can attack three times. At 12th level, you get the ability score improvement. At 13th level, your proficiency bonus goes up to plus five. And you get Indomitable, but you can use it two times before you have to finish a long rest. At 14th level, uh, you get ability score improvement. At uh, 15th level, you get martial archer type feature. At 16th level, you get ability score improvement. At 17th level, your proficiency bonus goes up to plus 6. And you get, you remember that action surge you got level 2? Instead of one use, you now have two uses before you have to finish a short or a long rest. Uh, yeah. And also at level 17, you get a Dominable, and now you can use it three times before you have to finish a long rest. At 18th level, you get Martial Archer type feature. Oh, at 17th level, your proficiency... Oh, also at 17th level... I think I said this, your proficiency bonus caps off the plus 6, and it doesn't go any higher. That's the max your proficiency bonus goes. So at 18th level, you get your final martial archer type feature. At 19th level, you get your final ability score improvement. And to cap it off, your last ability at 20th level for the fighter, you get extra attacks. So now at 20th level, you can attack 4 times when you take the attack action. So now... uh. Before we go, like, before we finish, let's just, I think we'll talk about some of those different martial archer types in uh, the player's handbook. And then we'll talk next uh, episode, we'll talk about some in Xander's Guide to Everything, and then we're going to put it all together about how's the best and, like, the biggest way to build your fighter in, like, the most efficient way. So first... In the player's handbook is the champion. So the champion focuses on developing your raw physical power, and you hone it to like deadly perfection. So. So those who like choose this archetype, uh. Like basically, like when you choose this archetype, like you specialize, like the the get this good, you combine like really tough training with physical like like, really physical excellence to deal, like, devastating blows. They focus on dealing, like, the champion archetype focuses on increasing your damage output. Because fighters, uh, a lot of melee guys, like, at lower levels, they can do pretty good damage, but at higher levels, they really need to rely on their abilities for damage, not just their straight attacks. 
Uh, because, like, those spell casters will be catching up and doing tons of damage at higher levels, especially. So, champion. So, at third level, when you choose this archetype, uh, your weapon attacks, normally you don't, you only score a critical hit with a 20 when you roll a 20 on a 20-sided die. Uh, and when you score a critical hit, you do double the damage so basically you roll the dice like you can do it two ways you can either roll like double the amount of dice then add your bonus to damage or you can roll the basic amount that like the normal amount of dice you'd roll and then times that by two which is what i do then add your bonus to your damage so at third level instead of only scoring a critical hit at on a 20 you also score it on a 19 and at seventh level, you add your per- half your proficiency bonus, round it up to any strength, dexterity, or constitution check you make that already doesn't use your proficiency bonus. So basically, you're proficient in strength and constitution saving throws. So you'd add half your proficiency bonus, round it up to, uh, oh no, it's not saving throws, it's checks. So you'd add half your proficiency bonus rounded up to any of those. Constitution doesn't have any checks. Like, you made just a base constitution check you'd add to, same with a base strength and dex check, and then all the individual ones you're not proficient in, you add it to. Uh, so, in addition, when you make a run and lawn jump, so that's like, will you... So, when you make a run and lawn jump... You, uh, you will, like, it's basically, like, you normally use it to try and, like, jump a chasm or, like, something similar or something like that. And, uh, hmm. So when you're doing it, uh, what is it again? Hmm. Yeah, so when you're making a running long jump, uh yeah uh yeah I'll need to I know I know it's like you run and when you make a run and long jump you get a bonus to the jump because you ran like it's more of a bonus than just a standing jump but uh I'll look up the normal bonus after this episode and I'll tell you guys uh tomorrow so in addition, so in addition, when you make a run and long jump, the distance you can cover increases by a number of feet equal to your strength modifier. That's for like this at seventh level you get it. Uh, that's in. This is like added on to like uh the other ability you get seventh level. At tenth level, you can choose a second fighting style, because remember you choose one at first level, and at fifteenth level. Your weapon attack score critical hit on an 18, 19, or 20. And at 18th level, uh, so you, you're really kind of resilient in battle. And at the start of each of your turns, you regain hit points equal to 5 plus your constitution modifier. If you have no more than half your hit points uh, left. So you can't regain this if you have more than half your hit points left. So you have to have... Uh, so you have to have uh you have to have less than half your hit points left. Uh so you don't gain this benefit if you have zero hit points. You can't like heal when you're like unconscious. So yeah, we're kinda out of time, so we'll talk about the other archetypes next episode. Oh, and I'll tell you what the round long jump is next episode. So, uh, yeah, right, and, and, uh, before we go, i just like to tell, like, uh, talk about a few things. So, as always, you can contact me, ask you, uh, ask me questions about D&D, like, your remaining, uh, like, any, like, your remaining, like, ideas for, like, the remaining bonus content of the seven days, seven hours, 
uh, any of that stuff. Oh, and if you have ideas for names and gods for the pantheon we're going to build together, you can also email that in at thednyguy at gmail.com. No spaces, no capitals. A link will be in the episode description. The email me. And, uh, yeah. So, this episode, I was busy when I started recording this a few days ago. I did, like, I always do, like, the basic episode. And then... I always do, like, the two halves, like, the first half, not including, like, the intro, and the second half, not including, like, the end, and then, uh, then, like, I'll, I'll, and then, like, I'll edit it, actually, uh, I, I always do, like, the first half, then the halftime, then the second half, but not the intro, not the end, not, like, the music to get in and out of the halftime, that's all in the editing later. So th- right now, this like this is a few days after those other parts is re- parts recorded. I was busy the last few days. I know this is coming up a bit late, but bear with me. The seven days, seven hours might be a bit extra days after, but I'll still keep putting out an app, trying to put an episode every like day or two until we're done the seven days, seven hours series, and then we'll go back to an episode a week. And, uh, yeah, so I'll see you hopefully tomorrow, and if not, hopefully the day after.